It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. When I first saw one of Raymond Houston's quilts, it mesmerized me. I just wanted to follow the loops his blocks created. He uses operations of symmetry and a single patch to create his very unique patchwork quilts. Raymond is an author, designer, and textile artist at Nacho Grandma's Quilts. While enjoying his retirement, he's making quilts and quilt patterns. I want to welcome Raymond Houston to A Quilter's Life. Thanks for being on here, Raymond. Thank you very much for inviting me. Mm-hmm. Where were you born and raised? My father was in the Air Force, and I was born in Belleville, Illinois, at Scott Air Force Base. I've lived in a large triangle of Massachusetts, Texas, and Alaska, with St. Louis, Missouri being in the middle of it. That's because my father was in the Air Force, so we did a lot of traveling. Grew up here in St. Louis for most of my life, spent about 16 years in the Chicago area, and then moved back to St. Louis. That is a large triangle. Indeed. Well, besides working on quilts, do you have any other employment? No, I am retired. I worked in a variety of jobs, professions. I was a typesetter for about 16 years in St. Louis and Chicago. After that, I went back to school at age 40 to become a paralegal and worked for various attorneys and the city of St. Louis. And uh, then I retired. My last job was actually working for a man sewing liturgical vestments like pre-stoles and altar cloths, that sort of thing. But now I'm retired and I'm home all day, home alone. <laughs> what led you to become a typesetting person? That was by chance. I was kind of going to college, but dropped out and was just looking for a job. And this job came up and typesetting, I never had heard of it. I never knew of it. So I took the job and then I learned that I was doing computerized typesetting. Now I knew of older typesetting methods, hot metal and the like. And so I started learning typesetting and hearing these hot metal guys basically saying, Computerized typesetting, it's a phase, it's a fad, it won't last. I go, oh, yeah. And next thing I knew, there were no more hot metal presses. A lot of it was going to computerized typesetting. Now, fast forward 16 years, and I'm working in Chicago area, and I'm starting to read about desktop publishing, because this is kind of the advent of personal computers, and here's desktop publishing. And I Asked my employers, what do you think of this desktop publishing? Anyone with a computer and a printer can print. And my employers go, desktop publishing, it's a phase. It's a fad. It won't last. I'm thinking to myself, I've heard this before. I left 
typesetting that long after that. Good choice. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned where you live now. So did you cover how you got there from where you were born and raised? Basically, from born in Belleville, and then my father being in the service, we traveled, and that's where he was stationed in Massachusetts, Texas, and Alaska, and the family went with him, and then back to St. Louis. I moved to Chicago from St. Louis long after I'd graduated high school. I don't remember the year on that one. I'd have to think about that. Well, what took you up there? Actually, my job as a typesetter took me from St. Louis to Chicago. Though it was my maternal grandparents' home being empty in St. Louis that brought me back to St. Louis. I no longer live there. I've moved around the city. And I've now been here 20 or more years. (laughs) Besides quilting, what other crafts do you do or have you done? When I was in high school, I learned to crochet. In fact, I taught my sister, baby sister, how to crochet. Never did any knitting. More recently, I got into paper crafts. So I've made pop-up Christmas cards and Celtic knots that I've woven together out of paper. Wow. That must be very detailed. A bit. A a bit. But a lot of fun. How about other hobbies? I enjoy music, both listening and performing. I've sung in various choirs and choruses. And my taste in music is very eclectic. I like a wide range of music, from jazz to classical to rock and roll to new age, you name it. I like cooking. I I love cooking and I love eating. So that kind of goes hand in hand. I do a lot of reading. I'm largely self-taught and did a lot of reading. More recently, I've taken on listening to audiobooks, which then leaves my hands free to do other things while I'm doing stuff. I enjoy plants. I'm doing a bit of gardening in my In my bedroom, I have several bromeliads that I'm nursing back to health and growing. And pets, animals. I've I've had cats as pets, and I'm currently setting up an aquarium. So I'm looking forward to it. It should be a lot of fun. What type of fish do you plan to put in that? It's only a 10-gallon tank. And so I'm thinking of a small community tank of guppies, platys, and tetras. But I don't know how many of them I'll get in there. The tank is actually kind of fun because it's a corner unit. So it's kind of a bow front. And behind the tank, in the corner, I put two mirrors at right angles. So they reflect each other and the tank. And so now looks instead of a 10-gallon tank, it looks like a 40-gallon tank. I'm going to look forward to getting some fish in it. First, the plants. I just set it up. Yeah. Who introduced you to quilting? I would say I took up sewing when I was a sophomore in high school. And I'm largely self-taught. 
at the time, I went to the public library and read every book I could find and got to sewing. Come 1976, that was America's Bicentennial. I'd been sewing for three years or so, and I said, oh, I'm going to make a quilt because I kind of felt quilting was Americana. So back to the library I went and read every book I could find and started quilting. So I copied my first quilts out of books and magazines, but I really wanted to design my own quilts because I was thinking, well, I'm reading this book. And how many other people are reading this book and copying this quilt? So where are the original designs? But at that point, it came to me that I wouldn't be seeing an original pattern or design in a book because at that point, it wouldn't be original. So I'd have to make it myself. So how do you design a quilt? And eventually, I learned about symmetry and the rules of symmetry for arranging and rearranging elements or motif into patterns. I created my own method for generating patterns. One patch actually could create an infinite number of patchwork designs. And so I designed a patch that I'd used exclusively in all of my patchwork for over 20 years, but none of the quilts look alike because each of them is in a different arrangement. So it's a lot of fun kind of coming up with new ideas, new patterns, but using the same basic building block. Cool. Do you have a favorite quilt? No. Each new quilt is my favorite because I think part of it is I'm learning something with each quilt I make, be it a matter of color or a technique. And so every quilt I make, I bring along what I learned on something before. And so it improves my quilting as I go. And so each new quilt is like, oh, ooh, you know, something new, something, something improved. So yeah, each quilt becomes my favorite. Not that the others are bad, they're just as appreciated as the first. Mm -hmm. How about a favorite tool to work with when you're quilting? I am a rotary cutter fiend. I, I love my rotary cutter, the mat, and acrylic rulers. I, of course, when I started sewing and quilting, I was using scissors. And so when the rotary cutter came along, I was like, ah, heaven, heaven. And so, yes, besides my sewing machine, but rotary cutter and mat. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite part of the quilting process or do you like all of it? I like all of it. All the parts are part of a piece. And unless you perform all the parts, you have no piece. So I'm learning. I'm always learning, as I said earlier, and learning new things about each part of the process. So my last quote, I would do something this way. And along the line, I go, oh, how about if I change that? 
So I've changed little processes along the way to improve the time. So it's new ways to do something, new products to improve what I'm doing. And that's why I always say, this new quote is the best I've ever made. <laughs> Describe your worst quilting experience. The first thing I learned and needed to learn was always buy quality fabric. And the very first quilts I made did not use quality fabric. It was cheap fabric. It took a summer to machine piece it and four years to hand quilt it. And I gave it to my parents. And over the years, it did not wear well. So at some point, I was invited to for an interview for a magazine and they wanted photographs of, of some of my quilts and I go, oh, I have my first quilt and I went to borrow it from my parents and I was ashamed to show it. In fact, it was so bad. I kind of told my parents, you know, there's the only thing keeping you warm with this quilt was the love that went into it because it was missing patches. It was missing, you know, the batting. It was in terrible shape. That was my worst experience with a quilt was just not making it well enough to withstand normal wear. Buy good fabric. <laughs> I remember thinking I felt like I graduated when I started buying better fabric. <laughs> <laughs> In a way, that's very true. I mean, now I look at fabric and it's like, Oh, you can't buy that. I don't care if it is a dollar a yard. That's why it's a dollar a yard, no doubt. But yeah, at some point you, as you say, graduate to say, recognizing what works well, what doesn't. And that's a good part of the process. Yeah. Now, why do you make quilts instead of doing a different craft or hobby? Hmm. I don't know. Well, I guess quilting kind of came out of the fact that I sewed. And after I got into quilting and enjoying it, it's kind of what I do. And now that I'm retired, I have plenty of time to do it. So I do. And who do you make them for? When I began, I gave them away to my family for birthdays, weddings, Christmas gifts. And then a little later, someone asked, and what would you charge to make a quilt? It had never occurred to me. I go, oh. So, well, I do give some away to family, etc. But I will make quilts for whoever wants one. So obviously that has gone well for you? I enjoy it. It's not like I'm making hand over fist. I'm not rich by any means. It's not that sort of income, but it is creative, which is priceless, whatever I'm getting paid. I was thinking of sometimes customers have something in their mind and we don't always meet that, but you must have been upfront with all your costs. Yes, I do talk with the client, but a lot of times the client has seen a piece that I've made and go, how much is that? So I don't do a lot of 
where someone says, well, would you, could you make me with a vague idea? They'll come to me with either something I've already made or something like something I've already made. And then I can tell them, all right, well, this is how I make it and this is what it costs. So it's not like someone's looking for me to make, say, a sunbonnet sue, which is not sort of, quote, I would make. Because then we have a problem because that doesn't really fit my style. And why would I use something that doesn't really fit me? Mm-hmm. What are you working on right now? I finished a piece I called Log Cabin Roads. And I've done a number of what I call road quilts using a set of blocks, their applique blocks that look like roads weaving in and out of each other. And so this piece used recycled blue jeans cut into squares with these applique on it. The appliques were from necktie silk. And it was sort of a challenge to me because I'd made several blue jean quilts before where I was actually sewing the denim squares together. And I was having problems with that. It just created too much bulk. And so I was wondering, how could I sew denim together without sewing denim together? And the answer was to use sashing, like quilt as you go. And so I have fabric that the denim is sewn to and not sewn to each other. So with that in mind, I was making little panels of these applique squares and then sewing them together much the way you would construct a log cabin block. So the sashing outlines a log cabin block, and then the design on the individual blocks themselves look like this winding road or number of winding roads. So it's kind of fun. And now I'm about to start another one with the same sort of pattern, the same sort of winding road design. Actually, I wrote a book called All Roads Lead Somewhere. And this is another one in a series of quotes I'm doing first for the book and now from the book. So tell me about your books. Now, how many have you written? This is my third book. All of them are in a woven knot sort of vein. My first book, Woven Celtic Knots, introduced my own method of transferring the paths of the Celtic knot to fabric and weaving them together. Now, initially, I wanted to do Celtic knots, but I didn't want to use bias tape, which was kind of small. I wanted a large-scale Celtic knot that you could see from across the room. And I couldn't figure out how to do it until I realized, well, just blow up the image and use that as a template. And so I would cutting individual shapes and then applicating them down to create the look of a Celtic knot. There's a little bit of space in between these little shapes, so it's like a stencil of a Celtic knot. So there was a problem with that because sometimes I would have alignment and spacing problems. And so to fix that, I actually included the fabric that the knot was missing, as it were. And so it would end up making a continuous loop, the the path of a knot that I could cut open at some point 
and weave in and out of the other paths of the knot. So my first book, and I talked about woven Celtic knots and how to accomplish this with knots that I provide or with any knot you could find. And then my second book is Love is Love. And it's same Celtic knot design idea, but it was a Celtic knot that was actually just one single path from beginning to end. And I was playing with dividing it into smaller sections and in the middle of it i found the shape of a heart and so the book describes how to take this knot and weave it together with this heart and with other ways of dividing the knot and the quilt that i'd made from that called love is love was juried into a biennial quilt show for men at the rocky mountain quilt museum so this quilt was in the show, and since it was chosen for the show, I decided, well, I should write a book about that. So I did. Now, my third book is called All Roads Lead Somewhere, and it is a set of 19 applique blocks that, as I said, resemble roads weaving in and out of each other. But I was inspired to design them from a board game called Tsuro, the game of the path and the game was so much fun that i said i bet i could do this in fabric and so i adapted some of the playing tiles into applique blocks and so there are 19 blocks which can be put together in infinite combinations and each of the blocks make their own pattern as well as the patterns that they make together so it's pretty cool. Neat. When I first saw it, I thought of these squares I bought for my grandkids that had tracks on them. And the little car would go in the groove, but the grooves would match up on each block. It's similar to that, except for you had two connections on each side where that block had just one. Ah, okay, okay. Can you tell me a tip that you would give to another quilter? Don't worry about comparing yourself to others. Everyone proceeds at their own pace in their own way. And someone would look at my quilt and go, I could never do that. But I've been quilting since 1976. So what? That's some 40-something years? So there's plenty of time for lots of practice, lots of mistakes and so everyone should be kind to themselves and say one day i'll do that and just practice that's great back to your books for a minute here mm -hmm. where can people find them they are available through amazon and my publisher blue dragon publishing is there anything else you wanted to share with me? I have done lectures for quilting guilds. And I kind of have this story, I call it a quilter's journey, that talked about how I took up sewing and actually how I taught my dad how to sew. I'm the oldest of seven children, five boys, two girls. And so I had no shortage of models to sew clothes for. 
and my dad is kind of standing off to the side, kind of wondering, oh, what does this mean? And in my lectures, I'll pause. I go, well, of course, it meant exactly what embodiment, but that's a different story for a different time. But I actually taught my dad to sew. And so he took over sewing for my family when I moved away from home. He has helped me with my quilting over the years when I was doing different projects. So I got into paper piecing and taught him, again, paper piecing. So we could both have identical blocks for whatever project I was working on. But for paper piecing, I didn't at that time use paper. I was using muslin with my design rubber stamped on it. I had a rubber stamp made of the patch I wanted to use. And I'd rubber stamp it onto muslin or stencil it and then foundation piece directly to the muslin. That way I didn't have to tear anything out. More recently, I've discovered there's a product you can actually run through your inkjet printer that can tear as paper, but you could also leave it in. And I tend to leave it in. I don't tear it out. Too much trouble tearing it out. <laughs> so how long have you been doing the paper piecing? Uh, off and on 10 years. No, it's been longer than that. At least 20. And again, that was going with muslin, but never with paper. Though I had done freezer paper piecing, but with that technique, the fabric is ironed to the freezer paper, and then the freezer paper is folded back along the seam lines. So you're stitching the two layers of fabric together along the seam line and then when you open out the seam it is then ironed back onto the freezer paper for the next piece that you would be sewing together and so you fold back the freezer paper so you never sew through the freezer paper but only uh, alongside of it it's an interesting technique and in the end the entire template for the freezer paper is lifted off with no holes in it and can be used again because it's freezer paper so you just iron it on again hmm. it's an interesting technique i've done them both with the paper that you could tear out though i never tear it out and with the freezer paper where you're folding back the seam lines where you sew I highly recommend the boat. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you doing this interview with me. It's been You're great to welcome. have you on. You're very welcome. I enjoyed it too. Bye. Bye-bye. I'm so glad you joined me for this episode of A Quilter's Life. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a review as it helps others to find the show? Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website or a Quilters Life Facebook group to set up an interview. And as always, 
Thanks for listening.